Hi, and welcome to Sleep Tight Relax. A short message for grown-ups. If you get value from our podcast and would like to support the work we do, please consider subscribing to Sleep Tight Premium. You'll get access to all episodes of the Sleep Tight Relax and Sleep Tight Stories podcasts ad-free and to other subscriber-only content, including bonus episodes, guided meditations, and long, dialogue-free sleep sounds. That's four sleep stories a week, plus our popular music and soundscape episodes. Please visit sleeptightpremium.com to subscribe or follow the link in our show notes. Thank you. Hi there. And welcome to this episode of Sleep Tight Relax. Sounds, music, and stories for calming, busy minds. In this episode, Cheryl shares the third part of the classic story of Peter Pan. We've continued using a subtle mix of music to accompany the story and hope the combination of story and sound helps you have a deep and restful sleep. Now, as we begin our sleep time routine, let's make sure you have a place where you are comfortable. Look for a quiet place where you can sit, or you can lay down on your bed. Turn your lights down, or even off if you can. Let's start by doing a few big stretches. Start by reaching with your hands to the sky. Keep reaching up as far as you can, imagining you are picking stars out of a night sky. Hold your hands up and then relax by bringing your arms slowly down to your side. Let's do it one more time. Reaching with your hands up. Hold them up, counting to five. And then relax. Bring them down slowly to your sides. This movement is a bit like making snow angels. Or for those who have not experienced snow, it's a bit like slowly trying to get someone's attention by waving your arms. Now, take a few deep breaths and let the air out as if you were sighing. Sighing is often the body's way of reducing tension. 
your time breathing in deeply. Next, let's put the two together as you take a deep breath in, raise your arms above your head, and when you breathe out, lower your arms and relax. Breathing in through your nose, reach your hands above your head, stretching high up, hold ever so slightly, and now lower your arms to your sides and relax, breathing out through your mouth. Raise your arms and breathe in at the same time, stretching to the sky. Now lower your arms and breathe out and relax. Let's try this one more time. Raise your arms and breathe in through your nose at the same time, stretching as high as you can, reaching for the stars and hold. And now lower your arms and breathe out. If you are ready for sleep, snuggle under your covers, position your pillows or your other little comforts, and get cozy. Now you can relax and close your eyes, feel yourself sinking into the bed. Take a few more deep breaths, remembering to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Take your time and breathe as slowly as you can. When you are ready, return to your normal way of breathing, not doing anything special, just breathing naturally. You can focus on the story and sound, allowing your mind to wander as you gradually sink deeper into a greater sense of relaxation. I hope you have a deep and restful sleep. Peter Pan, Part 3 For a moment after Mr. and Mrs. Darling left the house, 
the nightlights by the beds of the three children continued to burn clearly. They were awfully nice little nightlights, and one cannot help wishing that they could have kept awake to see Peter. But Wendy's light blinked and gave such a yawn that the other two yawned also. And before they could close their mouths, all the three went out. There was another light in the room now, a thousand times brighter than the night lights. And in the time we have taken to say this, it had been in all the drawers in the nursery, looking for Peter's shadow. Rummaged the wardrobe and turned every pocket inside out. It was not really a light. It made this light by flashing about so quickly. But when it came to rest for a second, you saw it was a fairy. No longer than your hand, but still growing. It was a girl called Tinkerbell, exquisitely gowned in a skeleton leaf. A moment after the fairy's entrance, the window was blown open by the breathing of the little stars, and Peter dropped in. He had carried Tinkerbell part of the way, and his hand was still messy with the fairy dust. Tinkerbell, he called softly, after making sure that the children were asleep. Tink, where are you? She was in a jug for the moment and liking it extremely. She had never been in a jug before. Oh, do come out of that jug and tell me, do you know where they put my shadow? The loveliest tinkle, as of golden bells, answered him. It is the fairy language. You ordinary children can never hear it, but if you were to hear it, you would know that you had heard it once before. Tink said that the shadow was in the big box. She meant the chest of drawers, and Peter jumped at the drawers, scattering their contents to the floor with both hands. In a moment, he had recovered his shadow, and in his delight, he forgot that he had shut Tinkerbell up in the drawer. If he thought at all, but I don't believe he ever thought, it was that he and his shadow, when brought near each other, would join like drops of water. And when they did not, he was shocked. He tried to stick it on with soap from the bathroom, but that also failed. A shudder passed through Peter, and he sat on the floor and cried. 
His sobs woke Wendy, and she sat up in bed. She was not alarmed to see a stranger crying on the nursery floor. She was only pleasantly interested. Boy, she said courteously, why are you crying? Peter could be exceedingly polite also, having learned the grand manner at fairy ceremonies, and he rose and bowed to her beautifully. She was much pleased and bowed beautifully to him from the bed. What's your name? he asked. Wendy, Moira, Angela, darling, she replied with some satisfaction. What is your name? Peter Pan? She was already sure that he must be Peter, but it did seem a comparatively short name. Is that all? Yes, he said rather sharply. He felt, for the first time, that it was a shortish name. I'm so sorry, said Wendy. Doesn't matter, Peter gulped. She asked where he lived. Second to the right, said Peter, and then straight on till morning. What a funny address. Peter had a sinking feeling. For the first time, he felt that perhaps it was a funny address. No, it isn't, he said. I mean, Wendy said nicely, remembering that she was the hostess. Is that what they put on the letters? He wished she had not mentioned letters. We don't get any letters, he said. But your mother gets letters? Don't have a mother, he said. Not only had he no mother, but he had not the slightest desire to have one. Wendy, however, felt at once that she was in the presence of a tragedy. Oh, Peter, no wonder you were crying, she said, and got out of bed and ran to him. I wasn't crying about mothers, he said rather indignantly. I was crying because I can't get my shadow to stick on. Besides, I wasn't crying. It has come off? Yes. Then Wendy saw the shadow on the floor, looking so draggled, and she was frightfully sorry for Peter. How awful, she said but she could not help smiling when she saw that he had been trying to stick it on with soap. How exactly like a boy. Fortunately, she knew at once what to do. It must be sewn on, she said. I shall sew it on for you, my little man, she said, though he was as tall as herself. And she got out her sewing bag and sewed the shadow onto Peter's foot. I dare say it will hurt a little, she warned him. Oh, I shan't cry, said Peter, 
who was already of the opinion that he had never cried in his life. And he clenched his teeth and did not cry. And soon, his shadow was behaving properly, though still a little creased. Perhaps I should have ironed it, Wendy said thoughtfully. But Peter, boy-like, was indifferent to appearances, and he was now jumping about in the wildest glee. Alas, he had already forgotten that he owed his happiness to Wendy. He thought he had attached the shadow himself. How clever I am, he said. Oh, the cleverness of me. Look at me, said Peter. Wendy was shocked. Of course, I did nothing. You did a little, Peter said carelessly and continued to dance. A little, she replied. If I am no use, I can at least withdraw. And she sprang in the most dignified way into bed and covered her face with the blankets. To try and get her to look up, he pretended to be going away. And when this failed, he sat on the end of the bed and tapped her gently with his foot. Wendy, he said, don't hide. I can't help crowing, Wendy, when I am pleased with myself. Still, she would not look up, though she was listening eagerly. Wendy, he continued, one girl is more use than 20 boys. Now Wendy peeped out of the bedclothes. Do you really think so, Peter? Yes, I do. I think it's perfectly sweet of you, she declared, and I'll get up again. And she sat with him on the side of the bed. When people in our set are introduced, it is customary for them to ask each other's age. And so Wendy, who always liked to do the correct thing, asked Peter how old he was. It was not really a happy question to ask him. I don't know, he replied uneasily, but I am quite young. He really knew nothing about it. He had merely suspicions. But he said, finally, Wendy, I ran away the day I was born. Wendy was quite surprised, but interested, and she indicated in the charming drawing room manner, by a touch on her nightgown, that he could sit nearer her. It was because I heard father and mother, he explained in a low voice, talking about what I was to be when I became a man. He was extraordinarily agitated now. I don't want ever to be a man, he said with passion. I want always to be a little boy and to have fun. Though I ran away to Kensington Gardens and lived a long, long time among the fairies. 
She gave him a look of the most intense admiration, and he thought it was because he had run away, but it was really because he knew fairies. Wendy had lived such a home life that to know fairies struck her as quite delightful. She poured out questions about them to his surprise, for they were rather a nuisance to him, getting in his way and so on. Still, he liked them on the whole, and he told her about the beginning of fairies. You see, Wendy, when the first baby laughed for the first time, its laugh broke into a thousand pieces and they all went skipping about. And that was the beginning of fairies. And so, he went on good-naturedly, there ought to be one fairy for every boy and girl. Ought to be? Isn't there? asked Wendy. No. You see, children know such a lot now. They soon don't believe in fairies. And every time a child says, I don't believe in fairies, there is a fairy somewhere that disappears. Really, he thought that they had now talked enough about fairies, and it struck him that Tinkerbell was keeping very quiet. I can't think where she has gone to, he said, rising, and he suddenly called Tink by name. Wendy's heart went flutter with a sudden thrill. Peter, she cried, clutching his arm. You don't mean to tell me that there is a fairy in this room? She was here just now, he said a little impatiently. You don't hear her, do you? And they both listened. The only sound I hear, said Wendy, is like a tinkle of bells. Well, that's Tink. That's the fairy language. I think I hear her too. The sound came from the chest of drawers, and Peter made a merry face. No one could ever look quite so merry as Peter, and the loveliest of gurgles was his laugh. He had his first laugh still. Wendy, he whispered gleefully, I do believe I closed her up in the drawer. He let poor Tink out of the drawer, and she flew about the nursery, screaming with fury. You shouldn't say such things, Peter said. Of course I'm very sorry, but how could I know you were in the drawer? Wendy was not listening to him. Oh, Peter, she cried, if she would only stand still and let me see her. They hardly ever stand still, he said. But for one moment, Wendy saw the figure come to rest on the cuckoo clock. Oh, how lovely, she cried, though Tink's face was still angry. Tink, said Peter amiably, this lady says she wishes you were her fairy. Tinkerbell answered insolently. 
What does she say, Peter? He had to translate. She is not very polite. She says you are a great, huge girl and that she is my fairy. He tried to argue with Tink. You know you can't be my fairy, Tink, because I am a gentleman and you are a lady. Tink answered with fury. They were together in the armchair by this time, and Wendy plied him with more questions. If you don't live in Kensington Gardens now, sometimes I still do. But where do you live mostly now? With the Lost Boys? Who are they? They are the children who fall out of their strollers when the nurse is looking the other way, and I am the captain. What fun it must be. Yes, said cunning Peter, but we are rather lonely. You see, we have no female companionship. Are none of the others girls? Oh no, girls, you know, are much too clever to fall out of their strollers. This flattered Wendy immensely. I think, she said, it is perfectly lovely the way you talk about girls. John there just despises us. For reply, Peter rose and kicked John out of bed, blankets and all. John, however, continued to sleep placidly on the floor, so Wendy allowed him to remain there. Oh, said Wendy. What is it, Wendy? It was exactly if someone were pulling my hair. That must have been Tink. I never knew her to be so naughty before. And indeed, Tink was darting about again. Peter then admitted that he had come to the nursery window not to see Wendy, but to listen to stories. You see, I don't know any stories. None of the Lost Boys knows any stories. How perfectly awful, Wendy said. Do you know, Peter asked, why swallows build in the eaves of houses? It is to listen to the stories. Oh, Wendy, your mother was telling you such a lovely story. Which story was it? about the prince who couldn't find the lady who wore the glass slipper. Peter, said Wendy excitedly, that was Cinderella, and he found her, and they lived happily ever after. Peter was so glad that he rose from the floor where they had been sitting and hurried to the window. Where are you going? she cried. To tell the other boys. Don't go, Peter. I know lots of stories. Those were her precise words. So there can be no denying that it was she who first asked him to stay. He came back, and there was a greedy look in his eyes now, which ought to have scared her, but did not, 
Oh, the stories I could tell to the boys, she cried. And then Peter gripped her and began to draw her toward the window. Let me go, she ordered him. Wendy, do come with me and tell the other boys. Of course, she was pleased to be asked, but she said, Oh dear, I can't. Think of Mummy. Besides, I can't fly. I'll teach you. Oh, how lovely to fly. I'll teach you how to jump on the wind's back and then away we go. Oh, she exclaimed. Wendy, when you are sleeping in your silly bed, you might be flying about with me saying funny things to the stars. Oh, and Wendy, there are mermaids. Mermaids with tails? Such long tails. Oh, cried Wendy, to see a mermaid. Peter had become frightfully cunning. Wendy, he said, how we should all respect you. She was wriggling her body in distress. It was quite as if she was trying to remain on the nursery floor, but he had no pity for her. Wendy, he said, you could tuck us in at night. Oh, no one has ever been tucked in at night. Oh, and you could darn our clothes and make pockets for us. None of us has any pockets. How could she resist? Of course, it's awfully fascinating, she said. Peter, would you teach John and Michael to fly too? If you like, he said indifferently, and she ran to John and Michael and shook them. Wake up, she cried. Peter Pan has come and he is to teach us to fly. John rubbed his eyes. Then I shall get up, he said. Of course, he was on the floor already. Hello, he said. I am up. Michael was up by this time also, but Peter suddenly signed silence. Their faces assumed the awful craftiness of children listening for sounds from the grown-up world. All was as still as salt. Then everything was right. No, stop. Everything was wrong. Nana, who had been barking distressfully all evening, was quiet now. It was her silence they had heard. Out with the light, hide, quick, cried John, taking command for the only time throughout the whole adventure. And then, when Liza entered, holding Nana, the nursery seemed quite its old self. Very dark, and you would have sworn you heard its three inmates breathing angelically as they slept. They were really doing it artfully from behind the window curtains. Liza was in a bad temper, for she was mixing the Christmas puddings in the kitchen and had been drawn from them, with a raisin still on her cheek, 
by Nana's suspicions. She thought the best way of getting a little quiet was to take Nana to the nursery for a moment, but in custody, of course. There, you suspicious dog, she said, not sorry that Nana was there. They are perfectly safe, aren't they? Each one of the little angels sounds asleep in bed. Listen to their gentle breathing. Here, Michael, encouraged by his success, breathed so loudly that they were nearly detected. Nana knew that kind of breathing, and she tried to drag herself out of Liza's clutches. But Liza said, no more of it, Nana, and pulled her out of the room. I warn you, if you bark again, I shall go straight for Mr. and Mrs. Darling and bring them home for the party. She tied the unhappy dog up again, but do you think Nana stopped barking? Bringing Mr. and Mrs. Darling home from the party? Why, that was just what she wanted. Unfortunately, Liza returned to her puddings, and Nana, seeing that no help would come from her, strained and strained at the rope until at last she broke it. In another moment, she had burst into the dining room of House 27 and flung up her paws to heaven, her most expressive way of making communication. Mr. and Mrs. Darling knew at once that something was happening in their nursery, and without a goodbye to their hostess, they rushed into the street. But it was now ten minutes since three scoundrels had been breathing behind the curtains, and Peter Pan can do a great deal in ten minutes. We now return to the nursery. It's all right, John announced, emerging from his hiding place. I say, Peter, can you really fly? Instead of troubling to answer him, Peter flew around the room, taking the mantelpiece on the way. Oh, said Michael and John. How sweet, said Wendy. Yes, I'm sweet. Oh, I am sweet, said Peter, forgetting his manners again. It looked delightfully easy, and they tried it first from the floor and then from the beds, but they always went down instead of up. I say, how do you do it? asked John, rubbing his knee. He was quite a practical boy. You just think lovely, wonderful thoughts, Peter explained, and they lift you up in the air. He showed them again. You're so good at it, John said. Couldn't you do it very slowly once? Peter did it both slowly and quickly. I've got it now, Wendy, cried John, but soon he found he had not. Of course, Peter had been playing with them or no one can fly unless the fairy dust has been blown on them. Fortunately, as we have mentioned, one of his hands was messy with it, 
and he blew some on each of them with the most superb results. Now, just wiggle your shoulders this way, he said, and let go. They were all on their beds, and Michael let go first. He did not quite mean to let go, but he did it, and immediately he was borne across the room. I flewed, he screamed while still in midair. John let go and met Wendy near the bathroom. Oh, lovely. Look at me, look at me, look at me. They were not nearly so elegant as Peter. They could not help kicking a little, but their heads were bobbing against the ceiling, and there is almost nothing so delicious as that. Peter gave Wendy a hand at first, but had to stop. Tink was so upset. Up and down they went, and round and round. Heavenly was Wendy's word. I say, cried John, why shouldn't we all go out? Of course it was to this that Peter had been luring them. Michael was ready. He wanted to see how long it took him to do a billion miles. But Wendy hesitated. Mermaids said Peter again. Oh, and there are pirates. Pirates, cried John, grabbing his Sunday hat. Let us go at once. It was just at this moment that Mr. and Mrs. Darling hurried with Nana out of 27. They ran into the middle of the street to look up at the nursery window. And yes, it was still shut but the room was ablaze with light. And most heart-gripping sight of all, they could see in shadow on the curtain three little figures in night attire circling round and round, not on the floor, but in the air. Oh, not three figures, but four. In a tremble, they opened the street door. Mr. Darling would have rushed upstairs, but Mrs. Darling signed him to go softly. She even tried to make her heart go softly. Will they reach the nursery in time? If so, how delightful for them, and we shall all breathe a sigh of relief. But there will be no story. On the other hand, if they are not in time, I promise that it will all be all right in the end. They would have reached the nursery in time had it not been that the little stars were watching them. Once again, the stars blew the window open and that smallest star of all called out, hurry, Peter. Then Peter knew that there was not a moment to lose. Come, he cried, and soared out at once into the night, followed by John and Michael and Wendy. Mr. and Mrs. Darling 
and Nana rushed into the nursery too late. The birds were flown. Thank you.